Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Today, we present episode 279, Lila Rose, model, performer and activist. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. On the line with me is the lovely Lila Rose up in the great northeastern portion of the U.S. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Lila, you are a fascinating woman. I was recommended that I talk to you by one of our guests that was on the show. And we'll cover that in a little bit. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the many things that you are. Anybody that looks at your uh, FetLife profile will go, wow, you have a, you're a model, a performer for 10 years. Yes. You've been at this a while. I have. And then I also picked up some teaching and have been teaching for a while. Teaching kink classes? Yep. On a variety of things, mostly consent, communication, mental health, coping skills. And I might, I'm really excited, I might be able to teach a pony play class this summer. Okay. Would be something fun as opposed to most of what I teach, which is very kind of heavy and intense. Consent classes. Consent's a big thing in the kink world. And so you go in how to consent correctly. What do you cover? The class that I'm asked to teach most often is on called Fixing Our Fuck-Ups, which is acknowledging that we're all human and in relationships we often inadvertently uh, cause each other harm. And where do we go from there? Because we really, as a community, and even as a larger society, don't have a script for that. And I think most of the models that we do have aren't very healthy. So I talk about um, kind of how do we, you know, you can't fix things, but you can try and mend as best possible and how to do that in an ethical and compassionate manner. But yes, I also teach what is consent? What does consent look like? Um, There are different models of consent. There's no, like most of kink, there's no one right way to do it. Um, There are definitely wrong ways, but um, so kind of helping people think about what it means and how to apply it to their life. Well, leading off uh, the consent discussion that we're in, you have a thing called consent consulting. So you put your shingle out and you become a spin doctor. Yes. So I was doing this teaching and having a lot of people come to me and ask me about their particular situations and realize that I was essentially doing consulting and that this is something I did want to offer in general. So um, I will say, I will help talk through your situation. I will help you understand and give you things to think about and ideas and some education. I will not fix your problem for you. <laughs> that is, nor will I uh, be your PR spokesperson. Fair enough. Anybody that's been on this earth for uh, any number of years that has gotten into kink may have gotten close to the edge of a consent violation. I know I have. And it happens. And so it's how you recover from it is the important thing. It is. And, you know, I would say one of the things I start my class off is, can you think of any 
interpersonal relationship you've had that is meaningful where no one has ever been harmed. No. Where no one's, yeah. The fact that we seem to expect that we can have kinky relationships where no one's boundaries are ever crossed um, and no one is ever harmed in non-consensual way, I think is very, very naive. So understanding that the majority of consent violations are not intentional, they are not, not malicious, and giving avenues to work through that and to grow from it and become better people. Um, and yeah, to work through it and be stronger for it is really important. And that's not so much the script we have right now. It's not. And we are human beings and we are not uh, computers to where we can cough out the uh, answer that we are programmed to. And so we're kind of fighting our way down the path and, and learning as we go, hopefully learning as we go. Sometimes not. Yeah. Um, I will say that I have met many people who have had wonderful opportunities to learn and grow and have chosen not to take them. And, um, you know, un that's unfortunate, but we can't uh, make other people's choices for them. And there is a certain amount of this that is self-care and recognizing that, you know, what is in our control and what isn't and trying to make our decisions not based on what we want other people to do and want to try and make them do, but what we can do for ourselves. Consent is an extremely complex subject and uh, we could actually do an entire show on it and, and have done a show in the past with others. But I want to switch channels here and go back to your modeling and performing. You have done some work with Brutal Master, who was a guest on the Kinky Cast here recently. Yes, I have. Brutal Master is a very high-end, high-pain website. Um, not, not for the people watching. Well, maybe. They, they might cringe a little. Uh, <laughs> but you were one of the performers on it. And what is a shoot at BrutalMaster.com like? There's a lot that goes on that you don't see on the camera. We do a lot of the negotiation and he's, you know, very good at trying to understand, okay, what's on the table and what isn't. And he's been awesome. There's been some content producers I've worked with who really, they have, they have like the goal that they really want to do and, you know, well, everything's kind, but can we do that? Uh, I found Broodmaster is great and, you know, being like, all right, what are you up for? And we'll make something work around that. I do have a lot of people ask um, how much camera magic goes on in those scenes because they are incredibly intense. And a lot of people, I think, are like, no, that's not, that's not, that couldn't possibly be happening. Her tits aren't really nailed to that board. Um, that's not one I've done yet. But uh, nope, it is, there is no camera magic there. What you see is what you get, and it's definitely one of the most authentic people and type of scenes that I've done and I've shot with, which I really enjoy because there's genuinely no, I, I never feel the need to like act or perform. I can just be like, nope, I'm here and this is what is going on. So I've a lot of screaming. Poor um, out, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so what scenes have you done with him? I've done a lot of impacts um, with the bullwhip and the prison strap. And um, my very first scene was a bastinado scene and some needles and suturing, though uh, 
the needles don't have the right effect because they tend to send me into like this super happy giggly floaty space and that's not so much the uh image he sells so um he then makes sure to whack me with things so that i yelp <laughs> so you got um you got stitched up yes I, I i've seen some videos let's see it was either your mouth or something else i've done one with my mouth and one with my labia stitched up okay. um those were those were fun experiences fun um, experiences you call it okay I, some I, people so, are, are just kind of shivering right now yes hi i'm a masochist the most recent was having my mouth stitched up and that was for me something that i'd been wanting to do for a long time and had taken on some significant importance in um i try and do a decent amount of activism and i care really deeply about the world and how it's treating people and i had just been feeling very silenced personally and many of the people around me just feeling like we can't, we're not heard, we're not speaking. So having my mouth sewn up was very much an expression of all of that that was building up for me. Kind of a poster child for that one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. It, that, that's really intense, you know, to take your voice away. That carries a lot of social and emotional baggage with it. Yes, it really does. And it definitely had a you know, a big mind fuck element, but felt really powerful. I've been tempted at times to bring this particular imagery out into more vanilla spaces because it is so powerful. Still a bit on the line about how much I want to provoke people in that way. Um, Putting that on Facebook would start a firestorm. Yes, it is. I did put it up privately on Facebook. But I mean, and that is part of it is how much am I willing to risk my well-being to start that firestorm? Because it would definitely have repercussions for me. And anybody doing it. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Um, the activist in you is showing. Absolutely. Yep. Right now, we need people to speak up for kinksters. We need people to speak up for human rights. And the the thing that's key here is you consented to having your mouth sewed closed. Absolutely. So many people are silenced that don't have the option. Exactly. And that was one of the things that came up in do I do this is, you know, that I am expressing, you know, what I'm showing is an expression of consent. Whereas I'm, is that okay to represent people who are being silenced without their consent? So it's, complicated, but I do, I am in many ways, I do have a good amount of privilege and I've been working to dedicate that and use that to amplify the voices of people who don't. Um, a lot of the advocacy I do is sex work related. Um, and I'm in a position where it's safe for me to speak up about that, whereas many aren't and it's not. So trying to find ways where I can hear what is being said, not just my feelings, but the feelings of the people who I'm trying to support and amplify those and let their voices have avenues to be heard. Sex work is such a hot topic right now. And with some of the laws that are being made, you know, they're, they're tying 
uh, human traffic into sex work under, you know, one big label. Yeah. Um, it is a huge problem and there's actually one of the big rescue, you know, they're called, you know, the rescue industrial complex essentially hired a marketing firm to make sure that market sex work as sex trafficking so that it's more difficult for people to understand that there's a difference. One is consensual and one is not. And trying to equate them is essentially saying, oh, there's no difference between slavery and work. What it essentially amounts to this, you know, saying the, the two are the same is it hurts both the people who are choosing to do sex work and it really hurts the people who are actually being trafficked. This has become a very, you know, the saving people, and I'm using quotes because uh, it really, very few people's lives actually are improved, has become very large business for a lot of people. And they are very heavily invested in making sure that the people whose experience they're profiting from are silenced. Yeah, it's a, it's a clusterfuck. It's a huge clusterfuck. And one of the things about sex trafficking and why they've kind of latched onto this is it's very sexy. And this is actually really interesting because I think it speaks to a lot of people who don't identify as kinky and would absolutely not be comfortable identifying as kinky, but fetishize the non-consensual aspect because many people do have non-consensual fantasies, which is very different from wanting it to happen in reality. But thinking about the concept of sex trafficking feeds that very repressed, fetishized part of them. It really is a lot of the promotional material and the talk around this really is, you know, it, it's porn, just as dramatic and as loosely based in reality, but it sure gets people off. And, uh, and that's where we move the spectrum into the sicko category. Yeah. Yep. And I think the majority of these people are really well-meaning. Like they do really mean well, at least the ones who are not up at the top and know exactly what they're doing, but you know, the, the crowds that they've rallied to their defense um, and really have no idea even what fetishizing something is, you know, that's the thing that the weird perverts do. And you know, that's like, you know, pedophiles and all that. Absolutely not recognizing that this is something that might be within themselves. And this is one of the real key differences. You know, we realized that we had a kinky fetish in our bodies a number of years ago, decades ago, and then developed it. And we found community and we fought for kinky freedoms and all that. Whereas there are some people that are just sitting back watching porn and jacking off and having rape fantasies in a not consensual way. Yes, in a way where they aren't aware of what they're doing. I think, you know, I'm someone, I have absolute consensual, non-consensual fantasies. That's a huge thing for me. And when I fantasize it about it, I understand what's going on. I know what my mind is doing and what this is. And I think when people don't know about that, it leads to a lot of real life harm because they don't know how to draw boundaries around that. The same guy that's sitting there playing with himself and watching porn then may go down, throw some alcohol on it, and uh, then go do something about it. Yeah. Um, and that's where the boundaries are, are stretched. And I hate to be thrown into the same category as them. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm very aware of making sure we don't equate 
porn and consuming porn with sexual violence and sexual abuse um, because I personally don't think there is a connection. There may be a correlation, but that does not necessitate connection causation. But yeah, I think the lack of education about where boundaries need to be between sexual fantasy and interacting with other human beings is very important. And the one thing about porn that I do think is very problematic is women, especially in porn, are still portrayed as non-human. They're still very much objects. And you can see that from the way any woman who is in the sex industry is treated in person and online. The concept that we might have boundaries and that we have the right to give or um, rescind consent absolutely breaks people's mind. And it's only 2019. Yeah. We'll get there. Evolution. Yeah, we'll We're get We're going to make it through. <laughs> fighting our way, kicking and screaming. <laughs> One of the things that you said there is uh, sexual violence versus the consensual portrayal of violence. Yes. That you have when you're performing. Mm-hmm. Some people can look at that and put you in the wrong category and say, that's just violence. She's being abused. Absolutely. Um, I feel like there are a lot of people, especially people who identify as uh, second wave feminists, who feel very strongly that it is not possible or um, to consent to having violence to hurt. I like to differentiate between hurt being a emotional, physical, mental pain or injury um, and harm specifically being an injury that is not consented to. So hurt can require either, I love being hurt, it's wonderful when I consent to it, but being able to say like harm is the specifically, we haven't consented to it aspect. But yeah, there are a lot of people who really feel very strongly that I'm sick, um, that I need to go to therapy, which makes me laugh because I've been in therapy for 20 years now. Interestingly, none of my therapists have uh, ever considered my kinkiness or masochism to be part of the mental illnesses I suffer. So uh, whenever people say that, I'm like, ha, 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 little do you know. But also there are a lot of people who say, well, even if you can, you shouldn't because this perpetrates the idea um, and they always phrase it as men can commit violence against women. Especially if they're married. Yeah. I understand where they're coming from, but I firmly believe that Feminism is so that I can choose what I want to do with my body. Using feminism as a way to tell other people what they should or shouldn't do with their body is a perversion of the idea. And because I do know that what I, you know, my work and my pleasure can cause the perpetration of these mindsets, that's in part the education I want to do. And I am hoping to bring education about kink into the vanilla atmosphere, still working on making that happen, but uh, especially at colleges, because we, of course, all waited until we were 18 and could attend educational events before any of us started doing anything kinky, right? Of course. Now, of course. At 18, I flipped the kinky switch and off we went. Exactly. I I think that is like for liability purposes, obviously it's understandable that events 
really can't let minors in, but it leaves this huge gap where they're getting their kink education from bullshit like Fifty Shades of Grey and Story of O and whatever depictions are on TV, which are all really unhealthy aspects of kink, even if they're good wank fodder. So I would love to be able to go through um, a college sexuality department and say, be able to sit down and say like, okay, and 90% of it would be about kink and 10% of it would be about how not to get yourself killed. I have spoken to college groups, uh, human sexualities and um, sociology and different things like that. You can kind of divide up the audience and say, okay, about half of you really get this and half of you think that I'm a rapist. And, mm-hmm. and, and then after a little bit, they start to ask questions first, you know, in a kind of a mean, nasty way. And then, then something starts to, to set in and I go, this is consensual. If you say no, we stop. And they're not used to that because they've been on dates <laughs> that did nope. not work that way. Things get kind of glommed together there. And th- yeah. th- there's one other aspect that I, I wanted to say. First off, on that the 18-year-old thing, in this very podcast, at the beginning, Max, the announcer, says, this is an adult podcast. Back in the old days, he used to say, if you are under 18 years old, stop the podcast now. I, uh, we took that out. Yeah. Because it's adult. You make the decision if you're an adult. And I'm not going to put an age limit on it. We all know what adult means legally. And the thing is, this podcast is heard in over 150 countries, and that age of adult is varying all over the world. Absolutely. So we take the the 18 out. And I have had many people interviewed on the show, and I said, when did you get into kink? And numbers like 13 years old, 14 years old, you know, those sorts of things. If we're talking about when we started fantasizing about kink, five, I think, was was the first time, you know, my favorite game to play was to be Wendy and have Captain Hook kidnap me and tie me up. And I would get very upset that we weren't allowed to use real knots. Yeah, as soon as I learned that kink was a thing, you know, there were other people that were into this. You better believe I wasn't like, I'm going to wait patiently here until, you know, the legal system thinks that I'm responsible enough to you know, have someone spank my ass. Yes, because God knows we've had neighbors spank our ass for no apparent reason. (laughs) I know (laughs) I did. Um, The next door neighbor came over and decided I was being bad and took me over his knee and paddled me. And I'm going, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, and, you know, I'm ruined because of that. Yeah. I mean, I never experienced any sort of, corporal punishment as a child. So for everyone who's like, oh, this is an expression of the trauma you received as a child. I'm like, "Eh, sorry, that one doesn't work. (laughs) And there there are so many things that can be categorized and recategorized into why we do the things we do. But just like you uh, being Wendy, I was this guy that uh, had had kind of a strap thing going on, you you know, uh, to tie somebody down with straps and uh, that sort of thing. I, I was so into that. I, I, I'm, I found some somewhere in the house in the basement, and I went, "Oh, these are cool!" And and so I was tying neighbor kids down, and you know, and I, I'm in elementary school, you know. Yep. And, yeah. I mean, and I'm going, "This is so cool." <laughs> and it's not, you know, I feel like for a lot of people, when it's that young, it's not even sexual yet. It's just there's it's there's a drive there, um, and I 
definitely didn't connect it with sexuality until I was significantly older. Um, I was 12 years old when, when my best friend's uh, sister started showing off her private parts. You know? Wow, that's and I, I, hell, I didn't know what to do with it. I'm going, wow, that's cool. You know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we're all exposed to it far younger than 18, but we don't know what to do with it, right? Because um, certainly our parents didn't explain it to us. He, yeah, I, I can't. I don't actually. I do know someone who got the kinky sex talk, um, whose mom happened to be a pro dom, and felt it was important that you know she made sure that her daughter knew what the options were and how to stay safe and what consent was. And I was like, whoa, that is really cool. Okay. That's uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like out of all of the people I know one. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was the exceptional circumstance of having a parent who literally worked in the field um, and was willing to give the finger, the judgment that would come from her being open with her daughter about these things. I spent uh, a number of years in Europe and I was amazed on how open the parents were with their teenage kids there about sexuality. You know, they would go to resorts, uh, clothing optional, you know, the whole family would suntan, you know, and, and that was completely foreign to me because I'm a repressed American. The idea that we can't separate bodies from sex is, um, I think, really difficult for the rest of the world to understand because many, many places, well, in Europe, there's also many places that are worse than America, you have your body and it's not sexual until you use it or portray it in that manner. Right. And breasts are the perfect example. Breasts aren't genitals. There's nothing inherently sexual about breasts. But they're lumped in. <laughs> Right, we treat them like they are the dirtiest. Um, and what I always say is like, if you want to cover up breasts because you feel they're sexual, we should all have to wear gloves. Do you know what I do with my hands? <laughs> well, if you have to cover your breasts, why don't men have to cover theirs? That's exactly. It's, it's funny, they have nipples. Did you know that? <gasps> I, I do because sometimes I take pictures of their nipples to put on top of my nipples so that my nipples are then appropriate. Oh, you <laughs> oh, are God. sick. I like it. <gasps> oh. <laughs> so actually, I'm going to loop this back. There has currently been a push towards the much more conservative on lots of social media sites. We lost Tumblr, RIP Tumblr. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, so much fun. Instagram has been getting much, much more strict. Um, Facebook will soon follow. Facebook and Instagram are the same thing, same company. Same company. Oh, yeah. No, they absolutely are. And then there's this kind of like wave between one will go a little farther and then the other will go a little farther. Where one goes, the other goes. Twitter's hanging on for now. I don't think it will last a whole lot longer. But all of this push towards the conservative stems from the fight against sex work as covered by, you know, as, as parading as the fight against sex trafficking. I'm sure you've heard of SESTA-FOSTA. Oh, yes. But that, for anyone who hasn't heard of that, SESTA-FOSTA was legislation passed in the U.S. that, so it makes a website that hosts content liable if their site is used for the purpose of human trafficking. Unfortunately, you know, this sounds like, oh, great, that sounds wonderful. 
previous to this, there was basically protection for website owners if their site was used for a crime. So, you know, if on Craigslist, someone advertised for something that was technically illegal, the Craigslist owners couldn't be sued for it. That is no longer true in the case of sex trafficking. The legislation makes no differentiation between sex trafficking and consensual sex work. So there are now cases where um, if I were to help someone else with doing in-person full-service sex work, I could be charged as a pimp and I could be charged as doing sex trafficking, as a sex trafficker. The interesting thing is all of the people who have been caught up in this dragnet doing full-service sex work have been kind of framed as victims and then prosecuted as criminals. Anyone who is saved through the system, that almost always means winding up in jail or deported. People who are taken out of sex work, even if it was in fact a case where they were coerced, because that absolutely does exist and I don't want to make it seem like there are no cases of um, trafficking and non-consensual sexual exploitation, in many, many cases, they wind up going back either to the people who've trafficked them or to other types of sex work because they don't have other routes. And so very rarely are the people who trafficked them prosecuted. That is the reason, because they passed this legislation, that is the reason that Craigslist personal shutdown, that um, we've had such a crackdown on social media on any sort of sexuality and sex workers profiles are routinely and without warning suspended and deleted. Um, everyone has, you know, their 14 backup accounts because you know eventually it's just going to get deleted and you're going to have to start over again. So if you're angry about not being able to show your nipples, blame Sesta-Fosta and a bunch of other stuff. But. And the Puritan upbringing that we all had in this country. Yes. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it was how many years ago that we were founded by Puritans, but it really, the fact that we were founded by people who were so repressed, they were kicked out of England for being too repressed, <laughs> founded this country who really does shape our values. It does. And the church, I, I'm, I'm not going to just blame Christians because there is a whole religious uh, side of this that is trying to keep it repressed. I have had relationships with women that had a strong church background as a child, the fact that they're kinky and they went to church when they were a kid, you can see it fighting in their psyche. I married a, he wasn't even a religious Catholic. He was, it was just kind of the environment of his family. I, I thought he would apologize for having sex once we got married. Wow. <laughs> Naive and silly me. Um, it was so ingrained in his psyche that seeking pleasure was inherently wrong that it took several years after we were married before he was able to accept that this is something that isn't, th that I can allow and embrace. Um, he's super kinky now, so I get my little I corrupted a Catholic badge. Um, <laughs> Good for you. When our, we're really formed by that guilt and that aura of shame, it affects us and it fucks us up. First off, it's hard to separate half a lifetime of being raised that way from what your feelings are. Yeah. Because if, if we ever let anybody know what our feelings were, they were told that those were wrong, you know, go wash your brain out with soap and, and all that sort of stuff. 
I knew when I was very young that there were certain things and I didn't even have to say them to pick up that these were not things I should talk about that I was allowed to talk about. And yeah, that repression starts very, very young and it just becomes so ingrained that it becomes a part of our psyche. Um, you, you didn't bring up the, the fact that you had a kinky thought over Sunday dinner when you were a kid? Yeah, I, I, you know, I really didn't. I did think for a while that my mom could read my mind, which made the whole kinky thoughts really, really awkward. Um, <laughs> uh, She's sitting there tuning in on your thoughts going, oh my God. <laughs> yes. Um, my sibling also thought that our dog was a robot that spied on us for my mom. So that might say something. Okay. It's deep in your family, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But conversely, I really had no idea about the deep sexual shame that many people carried because we were, you know, the community was a fairly progressive Jewish community and attitudes around sex. So, you know, at least, you know, where I was, it was very, you know, it wasn't a sex is bad. It was a be responsible. We don't want to know about it. Don't get pregnant. If you do get pregnant, ugh, tell us, we'll fix it. <laughs> but And fix it meaning, you know, whatever the right solution is. Of course, that can vary. Um, so it's a don't ask, don't tell policy. Absolutely. And uh -huh. it actually, when I was a very late bloomer sexually, which is ironic, um, but when I did finally start dating my um, first really serious boyfriend, my mom kind of sidled up to me one day and was like, you know, should I make you an appointment with the gynecologist? Are you like, basically like, so do we need to get you on birth control? And I was like, oh, no, no, I got that taken care of. Don't worry. And she's like, oh, so you, you are, you are I'm like, yes. She's like, oh, thank goodness. We were beginning to worry. Um, how, how old were you when this talk occurred? I was 19. Oh my, as they would say a little too late for that. Yes. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was only very shortly after I'd begun to be sexually active. So she wasn't too far off the boat. But just, just think about that. You know, if you haven't had that conversation with your daughter by the, the time, you know, 15 or 16, the cattle's all out of the yard by then. Right. Like, that's a, that's a sweet, sweet thought. But uh, I was given the um, Our Bodies Ourselves or something like that, like a kind of workbook because I was very booky. So my mom's kind of dodge of the talk was to give me this book knowing that I would, you know, devour it. So I feel actually very lucky that I got a factual resource that I could use um, because many people I know didn't even get that. And even in our very liberal, comparatively liberal Northeast schooling, which technically wasn't abstinent only, sex ed was, we each had to do a project on an STI. And then we spent you know, however many weeks presenting our projects and seeing images of the most horrible, extreme examples of, um, weeping sores. Yes. Weeping sores and, you know, like genitalia half falling off. And the message was like, <laughs> sex is an option, but it will kill you. And the sex ed teachers were always pregnant, which really. <laughs> they were practicing. Yes. And I, of course they were married. So, you know, it was okay, but standing in front of a bunch of teenagers pregnant talking about, you know, well, you can have sex, but you probably shouldn't really did not help the message. 
Back in episode 127, we had a sex-positive presenter on childhood, and she talks about the books that you should be slipping your children as they're growing up at different ages. Oh, interesting. And I thought it was fascinating because first off, she says, don't call it a ding-a-ling and a hoo-hoo and a, you know, whatever the euphemism for a dick is, a, like a dick, you know, it's a penis. Yep. It's a penis. And so these books, you know, call out the body parts so that the kids can actually call them by their correct names. Nice. And I'm going, you know, my head exploded, went, boing, I, why not? We should be doing this. We should be teaching the correct situation. <laughs> but it's in the archive back in episode 127. Uh, Emmy Kanawati is uh, the presenter. She is fantastic. And she's very vanilla. And she goes around to uh, community events and pitches these books. She, she didn't write them. She just collected yep. them. And I, I'm going, it must be a hell of a presentation to a PTA group. <laughs> right? Oh, man. That, that's great. I really hope the night kitchen is in there for, like, the really, really young. Because I remember as, you know, it, it is a very young child's book. But the pictures are all of a naked male kitten. Um, and for me, it was like, his parts are different and it's not sexual at all. It's just, oh, he's got outie bits. The night and kitchen? I, that was great. I've never hmm? heard of the night kitchen. Yes. It's by, um, the same guy who did where the wild things are. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And of course it got banned in a lot of places because, <laughs> but that was one that, you know, I hope is on a list like that because for me, it was a very non- shameful way of noticing that male bodies aren't like my body. Some of the books that uh, were presented as uh, raising sexually healthy children. Think about mm -hmm. that. Woo, what a concept. And uh, <laughs> it's not the stork. <laughs> Gotta hate that. <gasps> you, you mean a bird didn't bring me and drop me off in my parents' arms? Um, I... And then there's one called It's So Amazing. Ooh, Ooh, okay. And uh -huh. then there's one called It's Perfectly Normal. <laughs> See, now, of course, my brain's going like, all right, now we've got to think of something that really isn't perfectly normal just so we can screw with the title. Yeah, really. But yeah. That's how I work. Yeah, there, there's opportunities for... Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was a great show because she was presenting stuff that is really obvious that needs to be said. Yeah. And we have danced around it our entire lives. Absolutely, and so many societal problems stem from this we can't talk about it and we can't teach about it i think really very strongly affects us as a society we have this deeply embedded shame and i can't tell you the number of times i've had people tell me i should be ashamed that i should feel shamed for well, you my modeling be. and performing oh my god yeah you're such a, a lovely person <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we can laugh about it, but when people look at you, just glazed-eyed stare and say that to you, you go, what the fuck's the matter with you? And the most amazing thing is these are often people who will admit that they will jerk off to my porn. Yeah. Isn't it great? Yeah. Which, you know, to me says like, oh, you have a shame fetish that you're trying to export onto me you know, non-consenting, you should find someone that's into that because I know there are people who are into that. And um, I ain't it. <laughs> right. And um, that's not me. They, they absolutely, there's nothing wrong with them. They're, they're the healthy ones. Oh. Okay. 
<laughs> See, now you've just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> that's not my fetish. Lila, I, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. You are a breath of fresh air in a really weird world out there. Lila Rose on FetLife. Uh, look her up, check it out. And uh, there's so many things that you're into, and it's just wonderful. Thank you. I'm uh, got to diversify. You, you got to. In yeah. this world, because you don't know where it's going. That's honestly, that's exactly it. You know, we didn't touch on some of the other stuff, but. Uh, there th yeah. and there's so much and, and there's so much and um, we will come back and do it again excellent I would love that this was wonderful thank you you have been listening to episode 279 of the kinky cast for more information about this show go to kinkycast.com views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints the Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. Join us next week when we present Lady Steel panel discussion on polyfuckery. Recorded live at Frolicon. Mm -hmm.